0: Tis the season to drink it all in at the 2022 Christmas Wine Affair, November 28th through December 23rd. You can sip your way through over 35 unique Texas Hill Country wineries, sample award-winning wines at up to four wineries per day, and receive exclusive discounts on bottle purchases. Buy your passport ticket to the Christmas Wine Affair at TexasWineTrail.com and head for the Hills, November 28th through December 23rd. The State Fair of Texas has wrapped up for the year, but the fair's curated list of 16 award-winning blue-ribbon wines representing 12 Texas wineries are now available online at Somley.com. For a limited time, you can support local businesses and bring the Texas winery experience to your doorstep. Delivery dates are set to align with Thanksgiving and Christmas, perfect timing for holiday parties or to give as gifts. There's no replacement for a visit to the tasting room, but Somley's goal is to help wine lovers bring the winery experience home while promoting local producers' highest margin channel, direct to consumer. Shop for a pre-made bundle or build your own at Somley.com. Search for the State Fair of Texas Blue Ribbon Wines and act fast. This offer won't last long. Welcome to This Is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 53. Today my guest is Lynn Mayek, CEO of Mayek Vineyard and Winery outside of Schulenburg. Mayak is a smaller winery and a small community, but Len has big dreams and has made a big impact in a decade in the business. In Texas Wine News, I'll share information about how to purchase a mixed case of Blue Ribbon Texas wines, give the latest on two new AVA proposals, and more. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Well, the State Fair of Texas just ended, and y'all know that I got to pick out which Texas wines appeared in the Texas Wine and Beer Garden, and they called these selections Blue Ribbon Wines. There were 22 of them awarded from 15 different wineries, and y'all, the fair sold a lot of wine. I'm still waiting to hear exactly how much, but a truly significant amount, and much of it was sold in two-ounce sample-sized pours. It didn't take very long for people to realize that the pricing was better for a two ounce sample pour per ounce than for a five ounce glass. And while you can perhaps quibble with the prices and the glassware, you just have to get excited about the possibility that Texas wine was consumed by a lot of people who probably had it for the first time. And hopefully we'll become regular Texas wine drinkers. Well, here's the great news. You heard this in a teaser in the opening ad. Many of the wines that were awarded Blue Ribbons are now available in a customizable mixed case. So I'm working on this effort with Somly, my most devoted podcast advertiser, and also with Wine Cub. And they're doing the fulfillment of the orders. And as I said, the case is customizable, which means you can pick just the wines you want, whether it's all red, all dry, or whatever, There are some bundles that you can purchase as is if that's easier for you or develop your own custom case. And the pricing is retail pricing, not fair pricing. And there are no additional fees besides shipping. So this is happening truly for a limited time only. If you want your wine by Thanksgiving, you need to order by November 5th. And then there will be a second shipment date that's guaranteed to arrive by Christmas. And the deadline for that is December 10th. And so that is truly your final chance to order. Like I said, very limited time. So be sure to go to Somley.com to get in on this great opportunity. And thanks to Eric and Sarah at Somley and to Jason and Carrie at WineCub for putting their technology and marketing operations plans together to get this done. So it looks like Texas will be getting a couple of new AVAs someday. Justin Shiner of Texas A&M, the Texas Wine Growers Group and several wineries have submitted an application for the LANO Uplift AVA. The application is filed with the TTB, otherwise known as the Tax and Trade Bureau, and this will potentially be Texas's ninth AVA. It will be nested within the larger Texas Hill Country AVA, which remember is the third largest in the entire United States. This proposed AVA is on the northeastern edge of the Edwards Plateau, with elevations ranging from 800 to 2,000 feet. The area includes most of Llano and Mason counties and a few parts of surrounding counties. It even includes Enchanted Rock. Valerie Elkins is the executive director of Texas Wine Growers, and she says, The Llano Uplift is one of the most special growing environments in the entire state of Texas. In addition to being an incredible repository of rare earth minerals, the area is deeply affected by the mountains and water that dot the landscape. In combination, this creates conditions found nowhere else and imparts specific qualities into the wine that show a true sense of place that is relevant only to this area. Creating better definition within the various growing regions of our state helps to better define Texas as a world-class wine region. Valerie says that the application will now go through a review process and a period of public commentary, and it may be 12 to 18 months before a final determination is received. She also educated me about the key components of any petition, and these are to determine the boundary, the uniqueness of that area, and the proof that the area is commonly known as the name that you're choosing for it. Well, in addition to the Llano Uplift AVA petition, there's another petition being drafted by a separate group of Mason County Vineyards and Wineries. Their proposed new AVA will be called Hickory Sands, and Dan McLaughlin from Robert Clay Vineyards is leading that effort. Hickory Sands will be nested within Llano Uplift, which of course is nestled within Texas Hill Country AVA. When passed, Hickory Sands will be the first AVA to be approved based on GSI data. The rest are approved using hand-drawn topographical maps. It will also be a non-contiguous AVA, only the second in the nation. California's Mendocino Ridge AVA designation is the other non-contiguous AVA. It's part of the Mendocino County AVA, and its boundaries are set by elevation. So you have to be above 1,200 feet above sea level to be part of Mendocino Ridge AVA. And that's why it's been nicknamed Islands in the Sky, because the vineyards are high and they're often perched above thick fog moving inland from the Pacific Ocean. Hickory Sands will also have an elevation requirement, and it's even higher than that of Mendocino Ridge. So who knows what nickname Hickory Sands may end up with. So a lot's going on on both of these proposals. Dan says his application is just a week or two away from submission. And once it's accepted and the TTB calls it perfected, that means it goes on to the next stage. And TTB will probably be considering these two proposals together. Right now, Texas has eight AVA's. The first was Mesilla Valley AVA in far west Texas. It was established in 1985. Most of the AVA is located in New Mexico. And the most recent AVA in Texas was established in 2005, and it was Texoma. Dr. Carl Hudson wrote a detailed three-part article about the AVAs of Texas for Texas Wine Lover website, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Stay tuned for the public comment period on these two proposed AVAs and lots more news around new AVAs for Texas. A big winery purchase just made news. Slate Mill Wine Collective is now Invention Vineyards. Slate Mill Wine Collective was recently purchased by Heath Family Brands and will become Invention Vineyards. Before the purchase, Heath Family Brands included Grape Creek Vineyards, Heath Sparkling Wines, Jen Blossom Cellars, and Heath Vineyards. Texas wine lovers Jeff Cope got quotes from both the buyer, Brian Heath, and the seller, Randy Jones. Owner Brian new owner Brian Heath commented about the purchase saying, There are a handful of compelling reasons for the purchase. The property features 30 acres of planted vineyards and 30,000 square feet under the roof, including a large tasting complex featuring 65,000 gallons of tank space with some room to grow, a bottling line, and a barrel room that can hold 2,000 barrels. Plus, it's the closest full-production winery to Fredericksburg that features a large working vineyard. We expand our presence to Highway 16 and look forward to working with Augusta Venn to develop another wine road in the area. He also says that another benefit of having a larger operation is that they can redirect some of their cellar toward this new project and build a pretty good portfolio of Texas wines quickly. He says they intend to have about 12 total wine programs at Invention Vineyards and this season will be bottling 10,000 cases. They plan to bottle 15 to 20,000 cases for next year. This is a change that takes place immediately. The new website will launch within 30 days. They'll begin bottling under the Invention Vineyards label this spring. And the architects are almost finished with renovation plans for the tasting room, entry, parking, and landscape. Owner Randy Jones of Slate Theory Winery and formerly owner of Slate Mill Wine Collective stated, I'm so glad that Slate Mill Wine Collective sold to whom it did. There's no doubt in my mind that Brian Heath and his team will build something phenomenal, something that historical property deserves. As far as my family, we will be 100% focused on our Slate Theory winery property. So I recently judged Twigga's Lone Star International Wine Competition in Grapevine. Amy Nimick, who many of you know, was the competition director, and she gave a complete rundown of what the competition was like. I'll link to her article. There were a whole slew of awards given out, and I'm sure you've seen your favorite wineries touting their medals. The top seven Grand Star medals of the competition were given for top red, white, rosé, fortified, dessert, sparkling, and fruit wines. Five of the Grand Star medals went to Texas Wines, one to Becker for their 2017 Vintage Port, one to Wedding Oak for their 2021 Late Harvest Riesling, and three to Yano Estacado Winery. They won Best Red with Murder Red Blend, a small production Sousau and Alicante Boucher blend under a label that I've never seen. It looks like potentially a special project that Yano's winemakers are working on. Yano also won a grand star for White Wine for their 2021 Moscato and also for their 2021 Rosé, which is a Sinso heavy blend. Full results are available on the Twiga website and in the show notes. Wine enthusiasts recently published an article called, Does Sound Affect Our Perception of Taste? These wine experts think so. In it, the author explores the subject of wine psychology. One of its principles is that sound is an important sense when wine tasting. This field of research is music to some winemakers' ears, the article says. One winery that they quote is Lost Straw Cellars where Sean Fitzsimmons, Tasting Room Director, curates a playlist that echoes the wines unique to this region. He says, We alternate between Texas country music, like Randy Rogers, Robert Earl Keane, and George Strait, and a folk and acoustic playlist, like James Taylor and Van Morrison. It's our way to lean into our Texas roots. We pride ourselves on 100% Texas wine, and the easy listening music reflects that. Fitzsimmons says that there's never a time when music isn't playing in the winery. Wine, music, our property, they're meant to work together to appeal to all the senses. Well, here's an opportunity for tasting room staff in particular. There's a new Texas wine certification course that will be offered January 16th in Horseshoe Bay. It's a full-day course led by Kelsey Kramer, Director of Education at William Christ Wine Company. It's designed to arm attendees with not only a strong understanding of Texas wine, but also the ability to communicate the Texas wine story with consumers in a meaningful way. Topics discussed include what is wine and where flavor comes from. There will be wine tastings, old world versus new world. They'll touch on Texas wine history, grapevine species, hybrids, grafting, sustainability. Who is T.V. Munson? and some of the challenges growing wine grapes in Texas. They'll talk some about legislation and wine labels, soil and terroir, Texas AVA's, etc. There's an exam, and if you pass, you will have a Texas wine certification. And finally, I'm hosting a virtual happy hour, so please join me. It's going to be Tuesday, November 29th at 6 p.m. on Zoom, and I'll post the link on my social media when the date gets closer. Here's what I'm thinking. I'll share some wine-related gift ideas for the holidays. We'll have a little Texas wine trivia challenge, and then whoever wants to can share what they're drinking. Maybe I'll even try to line up a few special guests. So save the date. Again, that's Tuesday, November 30th at 6 p.m. It's the first time trying that, so I hope y'all will come. As always, find links to all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. This is the point in the show when I often give a plug for Cork and Cactus, our B&B in Fredericksburg. It's also the spot in the show that's called a mid-roll ad, and I'm seeking new sponsors for this space and for the pre-roll ads at the top of the show for 2023. If your target market is Texas Wine Professionals, Enthusiastic wine consumers, or just plain old Texans, we need to talk. Reach out to find out how to put podcast advertising to work for you. And now for our interview. Lynn Mayak is CEO of Mayak Vineyard and Winery, which opened its doors in 2014. Lynn has a corporate marketing background and shares what she's learned about how to build a brand and market a business. Anyone who's dreamed of planting just a small vineyard or starting a winery should take notes. Here's our conversation. Lynn, give listeners an idea of where you are located in the state.
1: Thank you, Shelley. Happy to do so. We are located uh, right off of I-10 between Houston and San Antonio halfway um, near Schulenburg. So we are actually, our address is Schulenburg, but we're actually eight miles south of Schulenburg in a little ghost town called Moravia.
0: And I understand that's halfway to everywhere. (laughs) Yes, it is. The town website says (laughs) Schulenburg is halfway to everywhere, which I thought was clever. We're
1: we're halfway to Austin, halfway to uh, Corpus Christi,
0: (laughs) halfway to Houston, halfway to San Antonio. I guess it depends on where you start, but sure. (laughs) And you have a background, I know, in corporate marketing and you've found yourself in the wine industry, and you've been doing this a while. Can you talk about the the origin story of Mayak Vineyards? Sure. Well, the short story
1: of it is that about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I had already fallen in love with the business. And I was going to the Hill Country um, and just absolutely loved the Texas wine industry. And so um, I was working in San Antonio at the time for AT&T. And the headquarters moved from San Antonio to Dallas. And so I was not mobile to Dallas. And so I knew I was going to get laid off eventually. So long story short, um, after lots of drinking is our hilarious story. um, I decided I could learn how to grow one thing. And so um, I went back and got that two-year degree from Texas Tech and Viticulture. I was in the second cohort of that class, of that program, um, and after I graduated, I, we planted in 2013. We opened the taste room in 2014. And in 2015, I got laid off.
0: Oh, well, the timing was perfect, I <laughs> guess, to start something new.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I was 50 years old and working in a technology business. And I just didn't think there was any way I was really going to be able to parlay that into another technology degree. And I was kind of exhausted anyway from it. So it was really wonderful to learn something new. And we had the property in Schulenberg already, and, it, and we had plans to develop it. So um, I just kicked it off, basically, and made it happen.
0: Were there other wineries in your area or vineyards?
1: Yes, there's actually one next door to me. Um, it's called Moravia Vineyard and Winery, and we've now been neighbors for probably 20 years. Uh, we both bought our land in around 2000. And um, he uh, lives in Houston. And at the time we were living in San Antonio and we just came out here on the weekends and we were living the dream. So it's nice to have two wineries in the middle of nowhere instead of one.
0: I really like the graphic you've got on your website where you're showcasing the other small towns near you and what is there to see. So that that's a lot of fun because you do have quite a, a nice cluster. I know you're part of the wine trail, Texas independence wine trail mm-hmm. so that people could definitely um, spend some time down there, just following your little map around to see what else is going on with your neighbors.
1: Well, we were blessed that, um, and it's a long story of how it turned out, but basically back in the day, there had to be a school every eight miles because the kids would only walk four miles in one direction. And so um, it's obviously very rural, but th- these towns clustered around the schools And so there's um, every eight miles or 10 miles, there's a little town. It's a grid. And so, um, you know, if you're from the big city, you might say, you know, um, you know, I want to find dining or I want, um, you know, community theater or whatever it might be. But among these uh, six or eight little towns, there's something going on every single day. And there's just high quality entertainment and food out here. And so we've really been blessed that. Um, Although not everything is in one town, you know, like you would have in a big city, you can travel just a little ways and find really great entertainment and um, things to do in our area.
0: I saw that you've got some meetups that you go out to communities near you to see the theater all on a bus together after you have maybe a wine dinner at your place. That's great.
1: (laughs) Yes, we're blessed. There's actually a a driving service in our area that's called Schuber, like Uber. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I take advantage of them every single time I can and um, rally my wine club members and other friends to, uh, or strangers uh, to go with us. We'll have dinner here, a glass of wine, and then they'll take us wherever we want to go. We go to the Victoria Symphony and two weeks we're going to LaGrange to see the Great Gatsby
0: (laughs) (laughs) Community Theater. (laughs) Talk about what grapes you have growing on site and then your other sources for grapes as well.
1: Well, my winemaker is Tim Drake, who you are probably familiar with. Uh, He also is a winemaker for Farmhouse. And he's kind of like between me and Katie Jane, a timeshare. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Tim has been such a blessing um, because when we first started, we were actually the number three customer at Texas Custom Wine Works. They opened right when we were starting and they really solved the problem in the beginning of how to get the wine made. And so we started buying local grapes, Blanc de Wa and Black Spanish, and we would take them up to Lubbock, which, as you can imagine, that's always a, a dramatic exercise during harvest for everybody across yep. Texas. I'm sure <laughs> just moving the grapes from place to place. And so um about four or five years ago, Tim went out on his consultancy, and we called him up as soon as I heard, and and I thought this is really the answer to our dreams because he is actually able to coordinate everything across the whole state and kind of has uh, really, I mean, obviously from a professional standpoint and all it's, it's been a huge blessing and our quality of our wine has always been good, but it's awesome now. And so he's been a real pleasure to work with and, and he handles Managing all that for us and making the wine. So to answer your question, we grow Black Spanish and Blanc de Bois, and we make uh, and we buy other people's Black Spanish and Blanc de Bois in our area, and we make those wines on our property. So we have tanks and a press and all those things here. The uh, the wines that we cannot grow down here, like Moscato or Cabernet or things like that, uh, we uh, Tim sources out of the high high plains. And the general practice is that we bring the juice down here and finish it down here.
0: Previously on the Texas Wine Lover podcast that existed a few years ago, you had said that you guys make approximately half sweet wine and half dry wine. Is that still the case? It's actually not. It's been
1: interesting how people's palates have grown. And also our um, customer base has grown since those days. So we're really more like 65% dry now. And, um, and we also get a lot of traffic now off of I-10, people that are going halfway between Houston and San Antonio, and they'll stop. Um, or they'll meet here. You know, people that are um, have families in both places, they'll meet here. Or we have people who have have blind dates that meet here, you oh, know, fun. from whatever <laughs> online dating service.
0: <laughs> and then they can have their wedding there later if it works out.
1: We have had people that had their – First or second date here, got engaged here, got married here, have children now. So it's, uh, it's just great to be part of people's lives. And that's kind of the unexpected um, pleasure of the business is really growing these relationships and kind of growing the community.
0: I bet. Your label is really recognizable. And if people aren't familiar with your name, they may recall seeing your label with a cute red cardinal. And your, your <laughs> font is very unique as well. Can you talk about how that all came together?
1: So I was in marketing, so I I was really excited to establish my own brand and go through that exercise. And so at the time, I was still, I was working full time. And so I was introduced uh, to a graphic designer in Austin. And she and I, she was also working um, full time. And so we would actually work at night on my stuff. And it started out that I just gave her a big long list of a stream of consciousness of images and notions that meant something to me and I thought would mean something to the, to the business. And so, for example, um, at the time we were, I was uh, working uh, exclusively by myself in the vineyard. It was, the vineyard was still new. And so um, I would be sitting in the, on a bucket, you know, pruning and um, I would prune, you know, before work and after work and, you know, I'd had a light on my hat and, You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, so I was really committed, but a little bunny would come kind of sit at my feet. You know, it was just like the most out-of-body peaceful experience when I was in those early days. And so the blue color is the color of the sky. And then the the color of the cardinal is actually sunset. And the font that she chose, I don't know how she chose the font, but it's very whimsical. Mm -hmm. And I did, I wanted it to be more feminine. Um, I'm actually not the most feminine person in the world, but um, I wanted it to be approachable. And at the time in branding of wine in Texas, there was a lot of very severe masculine images going on. And, um, and I just, and, and actually when I first worked with um, somebody on my labels um, they were putting like angry cardinals on their faces. <laughs> like they were mean, you know, like they were strong, not mean so much. They didn't mean it that way, but they were aggressive. And I thought, no, <laughs> that's not what I want this to be. This is a sanctuary for people. We want people to come and bring their children and uh, the gate is wide open. Everybody can come and we'll try to have wines that everybody likes and, Um, It, you know, it needs to be approachable. And so that's how it started. I wanted to express a casual but not country vibe and uh, uh, something that was, um, you know, uh, that seemed approachable, I guess, is still the word.
0: I think that you hit the nail on the head because that is the exact vibe that I get. And I think that it really carries over to that that theme of hospitality comes through in your website and, and social media, too. You have said that you're big on hospitality. So why why do you think your vision came to be a winery versus like an inn or a restaurant or a wine bar? What was it about you wine? Know,
1: well, I um I when my neighbor put in his vineyard, we helped him. Um at the time, you know, it was before twenty ten and probably twenty oh eight or nine. And um I just loved the whole symmetry of it. In the peacefulness of it and it was hard work but I was just in I was just in love with it and and I still can't believe that we I can actually grow a crop and produce wine from it that baffles me every single year that because i'm I didn't have any background in agriculture it just shows how things want to live mm-hmm. yep <laughs> Uh, i'm I'm naturally from uh, um, I'm from the South originally originally from Mississippi and I uh, we I love New Orleans uh, in fact we just came back we go every quarter to uh, you know rejuvenate our hospitality skills mm-hmm. and um, I just love the idea of it's my um, it's my passion is to kind of serve people in that way and so I you know, we're, we actually live across the street from, the, I mean, across the driveway from the tasting room. It's, this is my home. And so, and I've opened my home to wine club members in the past. when We didn't have it when it got too big to have in a place. You know, we brought them in the house. So I just have that naturally in my DNA, the hospitality part. Um, it was very much indirect, though, because when I, we were doing the um, design of the business, I just wanted a tasting room and and. In fact, I wasn't even sure I was ever going to make wine because we were using Texas Custom Wine Works. But it kind of grew. It evolved into wanting to take on more of it ourselves. And then when we, during COVID, when we had to close and then reopen at 50% capacity, um, I had to open as a restaurant. And so that was very much, I put that off as long as I could because I didn't want to take that on. It's much more complicated, more headcount when you have a restaurant. But actually, it's been very profitable and it's been a great pleasure. So it turned out to be serendipity.
0: Perfect. It looks like you've got a bunch of tasty bites on your menu. So that's that's nice. And of course, we have a lot of fun planning that. Of course, wine is best with food, if you ask me. So it's a a great opportunity, I imagine, to do some fun pairings and talk about wine and food together.
1: We really enjoy doing uh, food and wine pairings. That's another thing that through the business, my knowledge has grown and and I really enjoy sharing that.
0: You you give the sense that you might enjoy mentoring and, and helping folks along and that you would be willing to talk to people who, you know, have questions about getting started in this business. What do you wish you knew when you started 10 or 12 years ago?
1: Well, I went through the viticulture program, which was worth $10 million, right? Mm-hmm. So not only do they teach you, you know, the, the fundamentals, but they introduce you to everybody in the industry. And so that's led to so many friendships and people that mentor me through these times. So that's been a huge, that was a huge benefit, Um and I do try to mentor other people who, who want to put in a vineyard or other things that they may want to do. But I think one thing I would not have done is I would not have bought as big of equipment. And I know that's such kind of a technical thing, but um I think people are encouraged to buy as if you're building a ten acre vineyard when I'm, i only have a one and a half acre vineyard. So there's things like that. I wish I had realized how the labor shortage in my area come is a complexity. Mm-hmm. So there's technical things like that. But I will tell you that I never imagined the friends I would make and the um, pleasure that I have um, had. I mean, we will we'll have an event and and people just have a wonderful time and you know get out of the city for a day and spend time with us. And it's just seeing their faces and their children's faces and everything. It's just a huge blessing to know that we bring pleasure to people like that. I never would have imagined that it had grown into what it has.
0: I know that I've got a lot of listeners that are putting tasting rooms in areas that are, you know, outside of the High Plains and outside of the Hill Country where you've got a ton of winery traffic. Right. And so I wonder what are your best tips for getting especially a new tasting room on the map? What has helped you to draw people in from the city? Because obviously there's a lot of information that people receive about things to do, you know, outside of of going to visit a winery.
1: Well, I think there's a trade off, right? So you can build a business in the Hill Country and spend millions upon millions of dollars. Or you can build outside of the Hill Country. And you can actually somewhat pay for it as you go. That's what we did every year. It was like a capital improvement. One year we put in the vineyard, then we built the tasting room, then we put in the winery. So we were able to do that kind of incrementally. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that the first thing you need to do is that you need to start marketing way before you open, like maybe a year before you open, so that you're establishing your brand early and raising awareness of yourself. Um, And we're blessed that we have two wineries here. But we don't have a lot of people that pass by on our highway right it's a very rural road, and so I, I spend probably more money on marketing than any of the big wineries do and that's no exaggeration because i I'm spending money on marketing when I didn't spend it on land in the hill country.
0: yep Have you found one type of marketing to to do best at bringing people your way? Well, when I first started, i did um
1: of course i've done social media, which is by far the best marketing. And, and I think you need to do, you know, face, it's all uh, age-driven, right? So Facebook is more for middle-aged people now. Instagram is for people like 25 to 45. And now we're, we're doing TikTok, which my daughter is actually running for me.
0: I wondered because... who that was on TikTok. <laughs> That's awesome because I, I was looking at TikTok just recently for Texas wineries and I could only find a handful, although I'm not really expert at finding things on TikTok. But I did find you guys. And and uh, there's a lot of wine content, but it's not put out by wineries. It's kind of put out by these, you know, random people who, yeah, influencers or whoever's taking a trip to this or that place around the state. So good for you for being on top of the TikTok trend. <laughs> well, you know, I always think of myself like I went in Apple Computers when they would give
1: computers to kindergartners and kind of start them up through the ranks. Uh That's the way I think about my, they may not can drink yet, but they, you know, they'll remember me when they can.
0: Sure, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: But one thing I've noticed too, is that with TikTok, everybody's really using it. I didn't really use it before I started working with it recently, about two months ago, but so many people my age are in their thirties, forties, use it in fact, um, I was just meeting with my team this week about marketing, and um, my boats is a boat company, and that's uh, first cousins of my husband, and they are one of the most outstanding boats made. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. they the wildlife people have them, and you know they really are a top notch boat. But so much of their content is driven by their owners they don't even have to do any marketing because the TikTok is full of my boat TikToks about all kinds of things and they're so good. Hmm. And, and it's like, that's, that's what I hope to encourage is to get more viral content going through my guests, my wine club members and things like that. In addition to what we put out there. yeah. So, you know, I just, um, I think it's the more the merrier as far as content goes. But I will say that people obviously should use social media because it's fairly free. Mm-hmm. I started out doing newspaper, of course, this was almost 10 years ago, in my area because I was trying to raise awareness in my little towns, but it was not productive, and it was super expensive, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't do that again. And, but what has really been profoundly helpful, which is hard to imagine, but it, it's been a billboard. Oh. I have a billboard on i ten. And I get traffic from it every single day. Is that right? Yep. It took a while for it to start to, because people don't just see a billboard and wander off there. You know, Uh it takes probably twenty times for people to see it. But uh, it's we've had it now for probably three or four years, and it um it produces. So it's been, but you have to find the right place, and they're expensive. I found a, a reasonably priced one, and it's been a real blessing.
0: That's excellent. Wouldn't have thought of that myself, but it makes sense. I'm trying to think if I've seen other Texas winery billboards ever anywhere, and I can't think of any. Blue Lotus has has um, always
1: had one on um, I-10 okay. outside of uh, Seguin. Okay, and um, so we passed theirs every time when we were uh, before we had the business, even when we were driving out to our property. And um, so he that put me and I talked to Mike about it a long time ago and asked him if he worked if it worked, and he said he wouldn't. Ever get rid of it, huh? So, I think you have to be near a major thoroughfare to make it worth your while, yeah. But, um, it's been good.
0: Listeners might not know that there is a Facebook group uh, um, for women working in Texas wine, and that's where we first met at a virtual happy hour for that group. <laughs> and uh, Jeremy yes. Law put that group together. And I know this summer you were part of a panel down in San Antonio where Jen Beckman has uh, rerouted to 10 all about women in Texas wine. And Katie Jane, who we spoke of earlier um, was on that as well, I believe. Yes. Can you talk about what it is like to be a woman in Texas wine? I
1: think that it's different for me because I'm, I'm the owner of my business. And so I have the luxury of um, if, if, People don't show me signs of respect, or one thing I'm very particular, I've always not been very good with people that dismissed me, um, or that people that, um, you know, kind of talk down to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody likes that. So, but it, it happens when you're new in a business and they, and people, you know, people your ideas. But, um, I have over time, um, you know, kind of to out all the people that didn't support me and found people who did. And um, and so I've had a that's been a huge blessing and I don't have that drama in my life anymore. The other thing is I'm not in the hub of it in either Lubbock or in, in the Hill Country and I'm not dependent on those people. Um, and down here I don't know how in my business I just don't I don't get that very often. I have people that, you know, talk to Randy instead of me because they think it's his business. But I don't get that very often anymore. Because one thing, though, is I always tell people I'm the owner. I don't, you know, leave it up for uh, for people to guess. <laughs> I don't think misogyny is going away. And I'm not a big fan of kind of fighting it, honestly, because I just think that there's uh, uh, too many good people in the world and, and you can find good people to work for and or work with that will help you and mentor you. And that's what I've been blessed with and, and many people who have supported me in the business. So um, I, I, like I said, there's other people in different positions, but I, I was able to kind of craft my own way.
0: It seems like there are a lot of women joining the Texas wine industry. And in particular, I've been compiling a list of Texas women winemakers because mm-hmm. I see so much press about, female winemakers in various states and statistics about how few there are. But when I started making the list, I'm like, hey, I think, I don't know how it looks percentage-wise, but it seems like there is a great list of uh, women winemakers in Texas.
1: Well, there's a lot of women winemakers, and there's a a lot of women winery owners. Mm -hmm. And uh, where they're even not just, you know, a couple, but they're actually female-led within the couple. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so. That's not ever talked about, but I know particularly in our trail, many of our wineries are actually led by the, the wife. And so um, um, it's just kind of their passion and, you know, um, and they're the driver of it.
0: Can you give me a little history on
1: your wine trail? Well, it's called the Texas Independence Wine Trail. It's probably about 10 years old. It's older than we are. Um, and it consists of eight wineries that are, uh, located really between 290 and I-10 past Sealy. So um, Cast oh, Iron man. is in Sealy. I'm, I'm not going to be able to call them all off on the top of my head, but Whistling Duck is in Weimar. Basically every exit that you go down the way, there's a winery. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you go uh, on Highway 77, which is our crossroad on I ten at Schulenberg, If you go north up that way toward Round Top, there's probably four or five of our wineries up there. So they're actually closer to two ninety.
0: Good deal. I saw on the website for the wine trail that there are regular events. I think there's a, a fun run coming up. So definitely a lot to a lot going on down in that yeah. part of the state. We ha-
1: yes, we have a Halloween festival, wine festival uh, Saturday, and this tomorrow and uh, there'll be a fun fun run there we always have we had three or four events during the year to try to drive people out to our places
0: good deal in your region i know most people plant black spanish and blanc du bois because primarily because of pierce's disease right right Mm -hmm. how has growing been there the past few years? How are your vines looking? I mean, I know it's a challenging growing environment. So tell me a little bit about viticulture in that part of the state.
1: Well, I will say that I didn't say this earlier when um, when you ask about advice you would give, but I will say that the, we're seeing the impacts of climate change and it's just been crazy. When you plant, you know, when you think about... Ac- I, I was stupid I guess but um I think you you know when you have uh, a business you master the skills and then you get better and better at it but the, with the vineyard the weather is is the is the problem in that it's constantly changing and you really can't establish a trend and so um for example we've had the two big freezes in the last two years And it really obliterated my Blanc de Bois. Um, It's just not made for heavy, hard freezes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm fortunate that I can buy it from other people in my area. But um, in the spring, I'm actually going to take it out and put black Spanish there. Because black Spanish came back like a champ um, after the freezes. And um, in fact, I I worked with uh, Fritz Westover when I first started as a, when he was my viticulture consultant and he told me I should not put in Blanc de Guam because the pH of my soil was too high. And I thought, Oh my goodness, it's only a half acre. I can handle it. (laughs) Yep. And he was right. Number one, it never was as productive as it should have been because of my soil. And then it, the big freezes took it out. So, so I'm going to, Go back to black Spanish, which we make a very delicious rosé out of, and um, and I'm I'm real excited about that. It's going to take a lot of worry on my mind to do that. A lot of work to replace that, but it's the right thing to do. But the weather has been crazy, and um, you know, and we had the freezes. Then we had a year where it rained every single day. Then we have a drought. You know, it's just very unpredictable. And all you, it's like running an obstacle course. You just try to hope you make it to the end. So it's, um, it's beautiful. And it's, when, it, when you do bring in the harvest, it's a huge sense of accomplishment. But it's not as uh, linear as I thought it was going to be. I thought I, you know I'd get better and better, and better at it every year.
0: No. Vintage variation is, uh, makes things challenging, I know.
1: Well, it's definitely small batch wine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And so how big is your winemaking operation? How many cases are you producing?
1: We produce about 1,500 cases a year Mm -hmm. and um, hope to grow that to 3,000 in the next couple couple of years. Mm -hmm. So my husband, Randy, has taken over our wholesale operation, which has been a huge blessing. And um, we're opening new accounts every day. So that's been real helpful.
0: That's great, and I know you bring in other varieties from the High Plains. I saw that you've got, I think, Morvedra and maybe Tempranillo and several mm-hmm. others.
1: Yes, I try to have something for everybody. That was one of my, uh, you know, how um, I had a bunch of kind of credos when we, or, you know, mission statement when we first started. And part of it was coming out of a regulated environment with AT&T was that, um I was so used to having to um, fight to get anything done. I mean, which everybody does in a big business. That when I um, when I said I opened my own business, that the answer to a customer question was always going to be yes. And I empowered my my team to to make that happen for the customer because I didn't want people driving 100 miles and then us giving them grief over whatever you know whatever little rule we thought. And so. We don't have very many rules. Um, the other thing is um, I said that if somebody's going to drive 100 miles to visit us, they will have a damn good glass of wine. Yes. And so I've always worked with a professional winemaker, um, with Mike Sipowitz in the beginning at Custom Wine Works, on to Tim now. And that's an extra expense, you know, having that, um, doing, doing that, obviously. But, you know, I do not have any worries about the quality of my wine and I'm very confident when people drive up that we'll have something for them and so we build our portfolio so that we have dry sweet red and white you know it's, it's almost like an assortment plan because I used to be a buyer before I was in marketing and I was a buyer at dealer's and so we'd have an assortment plan and you'd have so many pants so many skirts some you know like that and you'd be ready for whatever the customer might need. And that's the way I look at my plan is that I've got a great dry white. I've got a dry, great dry rosé. I now have five dry reds that are all fabulous. You know, that's what how I look at it is that it's, it's got its buckets and we fill the buckets. You know, when people come, like I said, how horrible would it be if you drove that and you didn't
0: find something you loved? Right. Or if you turned up your nose at someone who said they wanted a sweet wine or... You know, whatever. Well, you know, I'm in Czech country here. Czech and Sherman
1: country is, is uh, where the Czech trail is I-10. And so when people say, you know, they don't want to serve sweet wine, I think that's rude. <laughs> people want sweet wine. And first, first of all, it has a reason for being from a food pairing standpoint, too. But people, you know, that are young drinkers or beer drinkers, they start by drinking sweet wine. And so we've got really good sweet wines. And they are harder to make than a dry wine because, you know, it's, you don't want it to be cloyingly sweet. It still has to be balanced and um, yummy. Yep. So I think uh, that was the first thing. As we started, we were guessing. And we were half sweet, half dry in our portfolio. And over time, um, it's more to be more dry because that's the customer we're getting now. Mm -hmm. But I've got four delicious sweet wines and um, two dry, I mean, two white and two red. And um, I'm ready to, um, you know, for those people to come and have a nice afternoon here, too.
0: Well, I can't wait to come down and have a damn good glass of wine. (laughs) That's my job. (laughs) Thanks, Lynn. You can find Mayak Vineyards and Winery on the socials at Mayak Vineyard. That's M A J E K Vineyard, including TikTok. They're serving up damn good glasses of wine Wednesday to Sunday. Six. Thanks to all my new podcast newsletter recipients. They got first dibs on the tasting room passes that I was giving away. I just gave away tickets to the Hill at High, French Connection Wines, and Bending Branch Winery. What will I be giving away next? Who knows? I know you don't want to miss out on the freebies and the -the behind-the-scenes stories. So sign up for the podcast newsletter by visiting thisistexaswine.com, then click Newsletter Sign Up. That's it for this episode. Please get in touch. Send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes to me via email at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And be sure you're following my social media channels, at Texas Wine Pod, on Instagram and Facebook. Then comment and share. You'll help me find new listeners who are interested in Texas wine. Show notes and more can be found at thisistexaswine.com. Thanks for Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Twigga President Glenna Yates. Cheers, y'all.